You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Drive to deep center field, going back Hernandez at the track, right to the wall, gone! Elvis Andrews! And 29 other MLB clubs. High drive, deep left field, Guerrero lifts one to left field and gone. Oh, Tani, that was a moonshot out there in the right center. Alonzo defends his title, the 2021 Derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe from OPS Plus to juiced balls to game-changing moments. We have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Good afternoon, everybody. Yes, it is A's Cast Live. After a little bit of a day off, we are back. And this is a very special show because this is the first show. Not only can you hear us live on A's Cast, athletics.com slash A's Cast, but you can watch us live from the new A's TV studio. And you can see us on our YouTube channel. You can see it on Twitter. And this is how Ace Cast Live is going to roll going forward as we continue to break down this season. And it's something that we have really worked hard on. It's something that we did kind of a, a soft open on Twitter just to see what it looked like and how it would go. But what we're going to do is supply you the best possible coverage, which was always our intent on streaming. We're now going to do it also on video. And the interactive stuff that we are going to have all around the studio will change throughout the season. To my right, you can't see it. I have a whole wall. We're going to have a fan wall allow you to send us stuff for the studio, help us decorate the studio. And we'll have a fan wall. It's going to be great. And going to keep this party rolling. And it's now interleague play. I love interleague play. I always have. And first of all, good Tuesday to you, Cody. How are you? Good. This is uh, interleague started in, what, 97? Was, I believe, the first year of interleague play? I can't even remember. Yeah, 1997, so 25 years ago. Literally is one of the late to the party dumb things in the history of sports. Like you want to talk about not changing when you have all the leagues around you, whether it's NFL, NBA, NHL, everybody plays everybody. You still have your different conferences. You still have the NFC and the AFC. You still have the Eastern and Western Conference. But the fact that baseball was the last one to go, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. Where we got an American League and we got a National League, and we can't play each other except one time a year in the World Series. So all those years, Ted Williams couldn't play in the National League. Willie Mays couldn't play in the American League. Stan Musial, Hank Aaron. I mean, you just think about American sports fans. Literally, got, and travel was much harder back then, for God's sakes. You know how hard it was to get from New York to L.A. back in the day? 
If you really want to go back in the day where everybody traveled by train, the fact that if you lived in an American League town or you lived in a National League town, you never got to see the other guys. And the only time you got to see him was very rare on, wait for it, folks, black and white television. <laughs> What's that? Is that a Zenith? I think my grandpa- my grandmother had one of those. Like, you'd have to have, like, the rabbit ears going and, like, the weird dials. Like, I don't even remember. That was a little kid. but I don't even know if I even remember black and white TV. Uh, I think all the TV since I've been, been, yeah. been remembered has always been color. I'm pretty sure my grandma still had a uh... – a black but yet, and white. But yet, those geniuses at Major League Baseball, they wanted to hold on to that. There's still people that want to hold on to that. One of them actually is going to be coming your way here at 640. Uh, Ken Korak doesn't like interleague play. There's still people that want to hold on to, no, we never play the American League. We never play the National League. You never see the other teams. You see them one time, only one time, and that's in the World Series. I'm so glad they got away with it. I love interleague play, and soon with the balanced schedule, We'll get a. We're going to get starting next year. We'll absolutely get away from this ridiculous what's been going on for years. Every team will play every team. It's just it'll be like let's just say the Marlins to really excite people. The Marlins will come to town once every two years, and the A's will go to South Florida once every two years. But you will see the Marlins every year because if the Marlins have the start, I mean, it, it would be like a National League team going. Do I care about the Angels? Well, probably in years past, no. But now you do because they have one of the greatest players in the history of the game, Mike Trout, and they got this other guy that we don't even know how he is going to be defined. But if there is one player in Major League Baseball that is must-see, as we said, television, but really must-see that if there was one player where you said, you know what, going to a Major League baseball game or going to any sporting event it's not easy right it's expensive you got to deal with the ticket you got to deal with traffic you got to deal with all the different stuff you got to deal with there was one guy that you go you know what he's one guy I put my money down that i want to go see and i would go through everything it takes to get there it's Shohei otani every baseball fan should have an opportunity to watch this i hope it's not a once in a lifetime deal but I got to tell you, that's the guy I want to see. And every National League team should be able to see Shohei Otani. And you throw him and Trout on the same team, for God's sake. So uh, interleague play, always great. And always great for division rivals. Why? Because we can't stand the other team. I'll say it. I'm not going to sit here and try and be politically correct. Ace fans, we can't stand the Giants. That's the beauty of the crosstown rival in, inter- in interleague play. Now, you think the Yankees and the Mets like each other? God, no. White Sox and Cubs? Nope. And over the years, it was really a one-way deal. But that all changed when all of a sudden Artie Marino took over. Well, first the, the Angels won the World Series, and then... Artie Moreno came to town and started saying, I want the same television contract. I want the same everything the Dodgers get. That kind of increased their rivalry. And then the Angels started owning the Dodgers. And the whole Frank McCourt and all that kind of stuff that went on. Um, that's been fantastic. 
interleague play is great, even though the D.C. and Baltimore and that, they haven't really established either one both being good at the same point. But it, it will get there. But that's the fun part. A's and Giants fans, we don't like each other. All time, the A's lead it 71-65. to Everybody knows about the 1989 World Series, but that was an interleague play. But it's spirited. It's fun. And whether whether one team is good, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's the best when both teams are good. But there is a little juice to it, even if one of the teams is bad. Because the other fan base goes to the other team stadium. Everybody's popping off at each other. We care more than the players, obviously. But I think for me, it's one of my favorite times of the year, Cody, is when we get these two teams getting after it because the fan base is we're going to have our people invading Oracle Park. It's still hard to even call it Oracle Park. But, yeah, it's fun to go over, and if we manhandle them like we have in, in years past, it's really fun to go over there and kick their you-know-what. They have uh, the Giants. It was, the A's were 2-4 and four versus the Giants last year in interleague play, and they were 11-9 overall. Uh, in early play. They're currently 1-2 this year because, remember, we started the year against the Phillies nothing of says, all teams. <laughs> nothing says opening day like Phillies A's. I uh, know. it's it, it. But if you look at both teams, I mean, the A's being at 9-8, and eight, the Giants at 12-5 and five this year, both teams, uh, they like to strike out a lot. Giants have struck out 158 times this year. That's second in the National League. Uh, well, they did face Corbin Burns last night. He had uh, 11. And the A's have struck out 155 times. That's second in the American League. Uh, the Giants love to hit the home run. They have 19. That's second in the AL or NL. The A's have 15. But what's cr- surprising about that is 12 of them are on the road. They have three home runs at home. Two of them are in the same game, and then we saw one over the weekend. Stephen Piscotty's big two-run homer on Sunday to win. You know, the salvage the series against the Rangers. So it's in, and you got a good p- pitching matchup tonight. Carlos Rodon, who might be the best pitcher through three or four starts in the National League, versus Dalton Jeffries, who. Take uh take out the your old bingo card. If you had Dalton Jeffries leading the A's in ERA to start the season. He's got a one point one seven. It's pretty remarkable. Now Rodon, he's looking to become the first pitcher to wait for it, throw five plus innings, and giving up one run or fewer in each of the first four starts. Now the one run is not what's striking. What's striking is five plus innings. The fact that Walker Bueller last night against the Snakes had a complete game was utterly shocking to people today covering baseball. Like when I got up this morning and listening to all the stuff that I listened to, whether it's MLB Network or watching MLB Network or uh, listening to uh, XM, I mean, people are just like, oh, my God. He, they actually – Dave Roberts, after you – know, there's still talk about Clayton Kershaw, his first start, being taken out. Uh, with the perfect game, would have been history if he was able to do it after seven. But a lot of talk there. Guys are just not going deep, and that's where the story of these next two games, as they did a full bullpen game yesterday in Milwaukee, is the fact that the A's bullpen has been really good and the Giants bullpen has actually been the best in baseball. So whose bullpen is going to crack. I, You know, like Cody said, you'd like to look at the names and look at the starters for these games, but they're not really the – it's like, okay, you like that Rodon and Jeffries both have really good ERAs, 1.17 and 1.06, but they don't go super deep in games, so 
if they factor because their team gets an early lead, great. If they don't, it's going to come down to these bullpens. And both these bullpens have been pretty much lights out. And for the athletics, finding them some bullpen. Find Jimenez. I mean, right now, I haven't looked to see. I got to think, isn't Lou's got to be ready to come off the COVID list? Yeah, it's been since what last Friday. So we haven't gotten the we haven't gotten the just to give you an update. We get all this on the company email. We have not gotten an email about the COVID guys now in days. Yeah, what's who's still at Pinder, Jed Lowry, Drew Jackson, and Lou Trevino will be the four guys still on the COVID. Well, IL. Drew just went on a little yeah, bit ago, but the other guys have been on since like last Friday. Going into the um, what was the series we were going into last Friday? or as after Toronto, coming in the homestand, I believe some of the guys were put on the COVID list. So it's been over a week, or might like, be at a week. Piscotty went on it. He's back. I want to swear Jordan Alvarez for the Astros literally was on it for like three days. Like I saw it and went, oh, and then like four days later he's hitting a home run. So, I, you know, the difference between whether you actually tested positive for COVID or you were around somebody with COVID, A.J. Puck, Tested, came back pretty quick. Want to get into that a little bit later about innings from your bullpen guys. Uh, you know, there's people talking a good game in baseball right now, but all you have to do is watch how they manage their pitching and you realize they don't mean what they're saying. Not at all. And also, Major League Baseball and the Players Union, I texted you today, Cody. When I saw that today, uh, we have to go from 28 to 26. Now, GMs do not want to do that. They love this 28. You know who doesn't love 28 on the roster? Uh, position players? You never think business. I, I think, yeah, true. You never think business. I'm not a business guy. This is This is a business. You think the owners want more? Guys on the roster? Well, no, they want less. Well, they've already agreed to one. I mean, to twenty-six. I mean, the GMs might want more, but you may want to be creeping to twenty. Yeah, well, it's not the GMs' money. You want to creep to twenty-eight, and then next thing you know, I mean, GMs would love to have thirty, thirty-two. You've just now added to everybody's. Wait for it. Payroll. payroll. <laughs> it's very true, and the twenty-eight is going to stick around to our fourteen pitchers now, till the end of May. Four. Teen pitchers. Because as I told you on this show, and now you can see it on YouTube and on Twitter, I told you they're going to make every excuse in the book. What was the excuse last year? Why did they have to have so much pitching last year? Why couldn't starters go deep last year? What was it? Uh, the COVID-shortened season. COVID-shortened season. Even though they had a full spring the, the COVID-shortened season was the reason why, hey, these guys can't go deep, and they took that into summer. Now, short spring training, the lockout is now the reason. So they're going to allow you to keep 14 pitchers. 14. So we can see what the Rangers did on Sunday and see what the Giants did yesterday in Milwaukee. This is how they want. They can make every excuse, but this is how they want to play the game. And it's not until you regulate it to change it to do whatever you need to do 
to force their hand. As long as you allow GMs, managers to have these kind of options, they're going to, I'm not going to say abuse it, but it almost feels like it. Oh, hey, guys, even though we used to have eight-man pitching staffs, I guess that was a, 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 a an era a long time ago. Okay. But 14 guys, 14 players, you got to have 14. And you're like, well, we got to have five starters. I don't even know if these guys are starters anymore. Are you really a starter if you're only going four innings? Four innings. You're going four innings. I still got to get five innings from all these other guys. Are you really that? Yes, technically you were the first guy to come out and pitch, but are you really like a starter? I don't know. I looked it up. The average start so far this year for a major league pitcher, um, you have to take the innings divided by games game start, uh, played this year uh, through the league. 4.72 would be the absolute less than five innings still for a starter. Now, that's a little skewed because Walker Bueller did go complete game last night. That was also the first shutout of 20. Well, obviously, will be the first shutout because it was a complete game. That's his first complete game since. Well, you can go a complete game and not have a shutout. Yeah, but I'm saying you couldn't, you can't get a shutout without going to a complete game. That's true. But it was his first shutout since two, or first complete game since 2019. Dave Roberts said his pitch limit was 110. He finished with 108. Well, that you know, and then that 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 gets to a lot of what when you look at what we're dealing with, the fact that guys are getting pulled out of extra extra out of. X amount of innings, it has nothing to do with their pitch count. I mean, we've seen A starters this year pulled with 48 pitches, 62 pitches. It's just where are they in line against the other team's lineup? Have they seen them two times? Is this now the third time through the lineup? The paranoia, third time through a lineup. Max Scherzer last night. Uh, If you got to see Scherzer, the way he goes through the lineup a third time basically pitched everybody different. It's like almost like all young pitchers should pop in a video of Max Scherzer. That Scherzer comes after you essentially one way through the lineup. So he's thinking about that, right? He's thinking about he's going deep in the game. So he goes against the Cardinals yesterday. He goes one way after you first two times through the lineup. Third time through the lineup, he changes everything. So if you're one of these hitters, you think, okay, I'm now, okay, I got it. And you go in for your third at-bat against him. Now, if he was working you away, if he was working you fastball and he's working you slider away, now all of a sudden what you saw last night was two-seam fastball for right-handers coming in on him. Uh, I don't know if he throws a circle change or what kind of changeup, where that was breaking down or down and into right-handed hitters. So he complete he pitched him completely opposite third time through through the lineup. So if you thought you were getting comfortable, now all of a sudden you're not comfortable. He started the game at 93, and then next thing you know, kind of the way Verlander has done it for so many years, and that is another thing that a lot of young pitchers could learn is you don't need to come out. First couple innings, throwing everything you got. Scherzer came out last night, 93. And as the game got going, and if there's ever strikeout time, a little bit of trouble, bam, I'm hitting you with 96. 
You don't need to come out with 96 right out of the gate because what happens as you get later in the game when you're going, this is my best fastball from the first pitch to, let's say, pitch 60 or 70. By the way, your 96 now drops down to 93. Get into that cruise control. Throw strikes. You're going to use some movement. Throw strikes. Don't go max velocity out of the gate. Save it for when you need it. And, boy, it's deadly. And, boy, can you imagine a hitter? You got a guy that pitches you one way, and then you're, you know, if you're, like, coming up in the fourth, fifth, or sixth inning, and now he's compete, now he's throwing harder and pitch, pitching you different than your first or second at bat? That's what pitching is, and that's what a great pitcher does. You know, I was looking, and we've been kind of tracking this a lot more recently, and a good example is someone like Dalton Jeffries, who doesn't really get a third time through the order. So his numbers are kind of skewed when you look at that uh, when I've been looking. But this year, so far, teams are hitting 200 versus Dalton Jeffries the second, through t- second time through the lineup. That's really not that bad. I mean, overall, this year, teams are hitting 214 versus him. So you're trying to say the panic button f- third time through the lineup is uh, a little nutso? I mean, let, let Dalton go a little longer. What do, I mean – there, it's a small sample size because I think he's only had like seven at-bats the third time through the order from what I saw. Um, so 214 the second time through is what baseball reference tells me. That's pretty good. I mean, we're, you know, as in this year, teams are hitting 140 overall versus Carlos Rodon of the Giants. I heard today the Pirates general manager. Ben, I, ben Charrington. I heard our own pitching coach, Scott Emerson, on this show, A's Cast Live, and I actually heard from Gabe Kapler. And I think that was on XM, the manager of the Giants. There is talk about how big it's going to be to see your bullpen guys view themselves not as one-inning guys. So I heard that this morning on Sirius XM during the old workout, and I went, wow, we just heard that from Scott Emerson. So everybody's saying it. Now, I'm not going to go through every team. I got way more going on than that. So I'm not going to go. I'm, I'm not going to do that. But I can tell you this. For the A's, it's happened only three times. Three times. Have the A's have a, had a pitcher out of the bullpen go at least two innings. One of them was just Selman, who they sent down. The other, the other two, one's. Oh, the A's are both surprising. One. For one, sure surprising. One better give you that. Yeah, and the one guy that, that I'm glad to see do it once so far is A.J. Puck. The other was Zach Jackson, I believe. Wasn't that just the other day? He just did it on Sunday. Yeah. And, you know, we've already used. And that, the two guys, is exactly what you're going to have to have. Like, if you're going to have, I mean, as of right now, A.J. Puck is a failed starter. You can you you can start. He's twenty seven years old, right? Uh, if not, he will be twenty seven this year. AJ oh. Puck is not until until AJ because you know I said it on one of the A's clubhouse shows. I said He'll, he actually just turned twenty seven yesterday. Yeah. Bottom line, I'm going to be happy with AJ Puck when he hits like his twentieth appearance and hasn't gone on the IL. That's when I will be like, all right, we got something here. But being a first-round pick at a college and you're, you're not starting and you're 27 years old, got to call it as you see it. So 
I better be getting multiple innings out of him. Jackson, kid out of Arkansas, uh, an arm that's, you know, the A's. He's a Rule 5, minor league draft Rule 5 guy. Yeah, he did it, but we're going to need to start seeing this because just getting four or five innings out of four or five different guys out of the bullpen, long-term is going to be rough. You're going to, you know, these guys, and it, and and I bet if you check around baseball, and don't give me they're not prepared. Saw that today early on MLB Network with uh, on MLB Now with our guy Al Leiter and the Hall of Famer Jim Tomey. Jim Tomey goes, I went down to spring with the uh, White Sox. He goes, day one, these pitchers were all ready to go. And Al Leiter's talking about his kid Jack going, you kidding me? All these kids, they all have their own rap sodos. They have a, they're all thrown. They've been thrown to hitters by spring training. They are ready to pitch in games. They're ready. Everybody, so the, the whole let's just all do the same mantra that, hey, guys, there was a lockout. These guys aren't ready. That's not true. And Gabe Kapler said that. Kudos to Gabe Kapler. I'm giving Gabe Kapler love today. Friend of the program. I was going to say, he's a friend of the program. Gabe Kapler said, he said, all of our guys, before they even got to camp, had been throwing bullpens. They had been throwing live to hitters in BP. No excuses. Our guys have been ready to go. Now, how long are you going to let them go? Once again, it's not about pitch count. It's about where you are in the order, really, for the most part, unless you're dominant. But, you know. Kapler's like, hey, these guys, our guys have been ready to rock. And look at Rodon. Rodon's been going five-plus innings. Yeah, and he has a lot of strikeouts, too. I think, And I believe I, I did a real deep dive on him. And I'll give you one thing real quick. We've used eight – we we can say we as a team employees. We've used 18 pitchers already I, this year. I don't know if just employees can use we. Well, all right. So the It kind of depends on what employee you are. Lower level. So the A's have used 18 pitchers this Thank year. You. The San Francisco Giants – have already used 17. We played how many games? 17? What are the, the A's to play? Yeah, both to play 17. Uh, but Carlos Rodon. you're watching on YouTube, it's the amount of guys that are being used, it's just. And once again, if somebody gets pulled, let's say a guy's cruising and he gets pulled in July and he's got like 68 pitches, I'm going to be the first one to call it out. Wait a minute! Lockout was a long time ago, man. We're in July. It's gonna, it's gonna, sh- it's gonna show. They're just using any excuse they can to pull guys early and not take heat for it, because they they don't want to tell you. Well, our data says this, and then everybody goes, "I don't care about your data. It's horrible for the game. It's bad for the entertainment value." So stick your data. They don't want to get into that. They're they're trying to. And I understand your job as an executive, your job as a manager is to win games. That's all you care about. But we are the entertainment business. And Al Leiter said it to Brian Kenny today earlier on MLB Network. Like, BK, you love how the Gi- Giants used, what, eight pitchers yesterday? Close enough, yeah. I mean, because it, it was a bullpen game for them. I think they used eight pitchers. Yeah, Sammy Long started. And, and he goes, do you really think that's great entertainment? And he had to admit no. And, of course, Brian didn't even watch the game. He just likes the he's sticking up for the bullpenning thing. And I got to tell you, my old head coach, Sam Perraro, we did that at San Jose State. He was one of the first guys to do that where he would say, all right, it's Tuesday. You get two, you get two, you get two, you get one. I mean, we staffed it all the time on a Tuesday. That was early 90s. 
Uh, college baseball did that. So that's not a total stranger, but it's not exciting to watch. It's not entertaining to watch by any stretch of the imagination to constantly watch a different guy come out and, you know, watch eight different guys pitch and all these warm-ups and everything. You want to see the dude. You want to see the guy come out. Like Rodon tonight, if you're a Giants fan, Dalton's not there, but Dalton has thrown very well, so let's just see how that progresses. But if you're you're, you're a guy that just signed a two-year, what, $44 million deal, somewhere around in that, yeah, you got a big money pitcher out there for you tonight. I want to see my guy go out there and, and, and shove. I don't want to see eight different guys. That's, that's terrible. But George Contos from... NBC Bay Area, Giants pre- and post-game live is going to join us coming up here. And what time does he join us? Do we he, want to break or do we want to? Uh, he's going to be here in like a minute or two. He's actually supposed to join via video. So we're going to have our first live stream video guest uh, today with George Contos, World Series champion and Giants analyst, as you mentioned, for NBC Sports Bay Area. Um, I mean, he knows about being a reliever. He knows about it pretty well. Did a pretty good job at it. Yeah. he's. I, I like him on TV, too. So, I mean, when I ca- occasionally catch a Giants post game when it's on. It's it's okay. You can Well, no, I don't really watch a lot of Giants games. So, you can I'm tune into Giants coverage. <laughs> it's not it's not a you need to stay informed of everything going on in baseball. That's so. what a movie networks for. Well, I I still I, to this day it rubs me wrong. I'll never forget. And I don't really consider this person a true A's fan. When my dad died, and we were at my dad's funeral, and we were down in San Diego. My parents were season ticket holders for the Padres. And my brother and I, to honor my dad, took all the family to a Padre. And, of course, I've told this story about Jack Cuss, right? Uh, I mean, I've heard a couple Jack Cuss stories, but let's – I mean, I, I can enjoy – I enjoy every one. Okay, so here I am, back home, dad's funeral, funeral's over, me and my brother, we take a bunch of family to Petco Park and not to honor my father. And, of course, I get away from A's baseball for one game. One game. Guess who they're playing? The A's? No. Oh, sorry. I was I was listening, but I was texting Contos to make sure he's good. They're playing the Mariners. Oh, that's like when I went to Seattle. It's like I can't get away from the Mariners. I just can't get away. We <laughs> see them in Japan every year. We, it's like face King Felix in Japan. Then you come back and you take them on. It's opening day. It's the Mariners. It's like the A's for a stretch felt like they played the Mariners like 40 times a year. But here I am, dad's funeral, going to the Padre game, all the family. I had no idea who the Padres are playing. We show up to Petco. Everybody's emotional. Everybody's been crying. And there's Jack Cuss and the Seattle Mariners. Oh, my God. you got to be kidding me. <laughs> hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story. And one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of 
of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team. Let's, uh, let's add him. First guess. I told him first guess we're trying this with. Oh, yeah. Let's check it out. This is, this is a first right here. Can we see him? Uh, he's on mute, it looks like. I'm not getting his audio coming through. George, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Can you guys hear me? Yeah, there we, we, there got we got him. How are you? Great to have <laughs> you on again. Fantastic. How about you? Well, Minus the, the technical difficulties. We are. This is the first. We we did a soft launch, but this is our first time. We're on YouTube. We're on Twitter. This is this is our new A's television show. Uh, what do you think of the set? So far, looks pretty good. I can see you guys looking good with the, with all the Oakland stuff behind you. It looks fantastic. You know, I, I I always loved interleague play, and I loved it because there's some juice, not only when you're playing teams you normally don't play, but when the crosstown rivals play each other, tell us as a player just what it was like, you know, because whether it's Yankees-Mets or it's White Sox-Cubbies, whatever, when you play your crosstown rival, tell us how there's just a little extra juice to the series. There's, you're absolutely right. There's definitely a little extra juice. I grew up in Chicago. That's where I am yeah. right now. So the White Sox Cubs was always huge for the fans in Chicago. And then being part of the, uh, I, I still call it the, the Bay Bridge series or the Battle of the Bay. I'm not sure what the right vernacular is uh, these days, but it, there's definitely that pride when you're playing um, against your crosstown team where everybody wants to have those bragging rights and you want to have the upper hand uh, with the fans, mostly who talk all the smack back and forth. But there's a little extra added juice when you play your cross city team you know i i did actually game one of white Sox cubs at wrigley field is it the red line you take down there yep it's the red there's a red line and the brown line that kind of cross over here yeah because we were staying on michigan avenue so we took the red line down and and they were talking smack to each other the entire time down. My dad and I are like, wow, this is going to be good. And then you get into Wrigley Field, and our buddy Sean Estes was pitching, and he got rolled in that game, and the White Sox were just – I think they scored like 14 runs. But it was like the stuff that was being said, I went, this is what interleague play is all about because those two fan bases truly don't like each other. No, they don't. They don't. The way the way it works here in Chicago, and and I grew up a Cubs fan, but I think everyone who who goes to the Cubs games a lot of the times is viewed as looking to go have a good time, have a couple pops in the bleachers, enjoy themselves, walk over to a to a Wrigleyville bar afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> but at least at least the the White Sox fans, they're the ones who pride themselves on knowing the game, knowing what's going on, knowing the situation. So you get a lot of that back and forth with Cubs and Sox fan uh, of who's the better fan. But then again, the Cubs have the bragging rights because they've won more recently. What are your memories of A's and Giants? Oh, man, uh, there's, there's, there's a bunch of them. I remember uh, the, the last Bay Bridge series that I played in um, was, at, was in San Francisco, and I remember 
my at bat against Stephen Vogt. He always put really good at bats together. Everybody in that in that A's lineup on those teams, similarly to the Giants, they were tough outs. They were they were guys who were grinders and they and they'd work pitch counts and hit the ball the other way. And I would always remember it was just a hard fought, good hard nosed baseball series. And I think we lost. I might have given up a couple of runs in my last appearance in that series, but it was always fun. And I did the Coaching Corps Game Changer Awards in 2017. And I, I was given courtside tickets to the Warriors that day. And some of the guy, the, the, the representative for the A's uh, got the, the regular seats. And I saw Stephen vote again. And he came he came down and he goes, man, the Giants always getting the good perks all around the Bay. So it's always funny. It's friendly banter. Uh, but it, it's all in good fun. You know, off the field, everyone is, is fantastic and guys are buddies. But on the field, there's there's a there's a pride there. Guys want to get get the best of uh, of the other side of the bay. Yeah, there is something to it. Like even like people would go, ah, the freeway series, Dodgers, Angels. There is something about no matter what the records are, there just is something about, you know, the fan bases are fired up. There's just there, there's just something different about it. There is, there is. There's, there's always. Whenever you're playing a team from the same, uh, from the same city, and, and the fans cross over. I mean, even walking down last year, I covered the, uh, the series as well when I was in studio covering it uh, as an analyst. And you're walking down the street, and, and myself and, and Stewie uh, were walking down, and there are Giants fans talking smack to smoke, and there are Ace fans talking. Bad smack idea, to me by the way. Some of these bars. Bad idea, talking smack to him. <laughs> oh yeah, he can, he can get, he can get feisty quick. People, people still forget the man's a black belt. Oh yeah, don't oh, yeah. forget. <laughs> and he's got the nicest, most calm personality until it's not. You know, being a guy that's thrown a lot of innings, obviously a world champion, you've pitched in some real big games. The way baseball and bullpens have evolved. How do you feel about the way the game's going right now? Where, where we're going to set another record this year, or we're on pace to where bullpens will eat up more innings than ever before, and they're pitching more innings than starters. So I think in the beginning of this, it, let, let's kind of be fair and say that spring training was a little shortened this year with the CBA and and everything kind of getting rushed. There was only three weeks worth of games. Um and the starters haven't built up their innings, which is why you have the extra roster spot, which the majority of those are going to pitchers. Um, but I think for me, at least, I've always been a guy that has been a use your eyes on that day and let the numbers and the analytics kind of complement what you're seeing on the mound. You know, we saw firsthand kind of how analytics didn't work, in my opinion, in the Tampa Bay Dodger World Series when uh, Blake Snell came out of the game and Nick Anderson came running in and Mookie Betts blatantly said he goes the momentum changed I think that the numbers are very very valuable but I also think that third time through the lineup is also one of those big kind of keys where managers are starting to be like all right let's get it let's get somebody else in see a different arm um, so I think that the game has evolved in the way that you're not going to see as much turnover from the staffs which is why guys are throwing a lot more innings out of the bullpen is it is it sustainable that's my big question I think it it is sustainable as long as they have the amount of arms they can keep kind of churning through. You know, you, you, we're going to see more, like you mentioned, we're going to see more relievers, like the number of relievers and the more and more innings pitched out of relievers this year than we did last year and the year before. So I think as long as this style of baseball is what's going to be played, then we're going to see more and more relievers. Yeah, we're going to get to a point. I know GMs are fighting for it. It took them forever, and we talked to David Force, our general manager. It took forever for them to get 
26 guys on the roster. They were able to get 28 this year. It's going back. But I could see GMs going, we need like 30 guys on the roster. We need more <laughs> arms. And I don't know if it's good for baseball because I think, I to me, that's their answer. Their answer to, instead of telling pitchers and trying to get pitchers to throw more, I think their answer is more roster spots, more relievers. I also think it, it, it's a little bit of a cost, you know, cost basis as well. Because what, what we've seen is we, we're still going to see those top end relievers, those back end guys are still going to continue to get paid. And with the amount of turnover that you're going to have, you're not going to necessarily, as time moves on, have those middle guys or, you know, seventh inning guys are not going to be making as much as well. So it all, it, it's also incentivizing less and less guys to be getting those deals so you can have more guys in the roster to turn through. You know, when we got to interview Gabe Kapler down at the winter meetings in 2019, yes, the last time we had a winter meetings was 2019, sad. <laughs> uh, really liked the guy. And I used to, on my old talk show, I used to have Gabe Kapler on all the time when he was with Fox Sports. So I always liked him, right? Bright guy. He was a very good interview. And then it just it didn't work out in Philly. I don't know if he got a bad rap. I don't know what it is. But obviously in San Francisco, he's showing you the ability to trust in a large staff, to allow his staff to do their work, to have a lot of flexibility with the roster. Obviously all the pinch hit home runs last year, the way he utilizes the bullpen. I mean, guys, I mean, look at Jock Peterson. I, mean, Jock, I saw this today. Jock Peterson is the first guy to have this many home runs in 14 games since Willie McCovey and Jared Parker, for God's sakes. I mean, when you're on the same list as Willie McCovey, just talk about how uh, Gabe Kapler really has turned out to be a great fit in San Francisco. First of all, the, the fact that Gabe was able to come in and have such a warm reception from everybody after following a guy like Bruce Bochy is really a, a kudos to him because Bochy is obviously a guy who's going to the Hall of Fame, a guy who I played under and learned the game under. Uh, so for him to come in and have the the success and have the likability that he has is really impressive, and, and it's a kudos to him of uh, coming in and just earning the trust of the players, I think. That's, that's what it is. You see that this is a clubhouse of guys who all mesh together. Everyone's very positive. Everyone likes each other. They have the same type of chemistry and camaraderie, it seems like, the teams that I was on, the 12, the 14 teams, the teams that we had that won. And obviously – this team did something that none of those teams has done, which in winning 107 games last year. And I think that's a kudos to not only Gabe Kapler, who's done a fantastic job of managing the personalities, but also Farhan and and everybody on the on the front office side and the players for buying into such a drastic regime change and having the success that they're having as quickly as they have. Oh, there's no doubt. I mean, when you want to talk about going from Brian Sabian and Bruce Bochy, not the biggest of analytics, to now all-in analytics. I mean, Farhan grew up with us in the A's, and he's Billy Bean's best buddy, and this is where he learned it. And then Kapler, they're all in. But if you look at it, 119 wins uh, since the start of last year, the most in baseball. Just how important is it? for the entire roster to get utilized, the entire roster to get at-bats, all the guys get their innings, and, and just for everybody to feel like everybody's rowing in the same direction, everybody's pulling on the same rope. How important is it to utilize the entire roster, especially early in a season? Well, it's huge, obviously. And what I what I really like to see is, is how they've been managing to get guys in more often, too. I know that they've been starting off with – 
with different lineups and kind of playing the uh, the 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 um, the line of changes versus righties, lefties, and, and all that. But I like that he's been using a lot more of the same lineup to get guys consistent. And then later in the games, when you have those pitching changes, all the guys are getting at bats. And the same thing with the arms. He's been able to do a good job of getting all the guys in the games, even with the extended rosters. And the Giants pitching staff overall has been fantastic. But the um, the um, starters have done a fantastic job of churning through innings and, and letting everybody kind of fall in line with their roles. Yeah, things just dramatically change. We've done it over the years that when your starters give you innings, not only does your winning percentage go up, the starter has a better chance to get the win. I mean, at one point, like if an A starter – it was like two years, about two or three years ago. I don't want to count the COVID year. It was almost like there was only one loss by an A starter if he actually went seven innings or more. There is just something different about a team. And speak to this when your starter can go deep into a game. Uh, when your starter can go deep in the, into the game, not only does it pay dividends early, but it pays dividends late as well. And I think that's the A's and the Giants are, are similar in that regard. Is we, We've always been – have been proud of having great starting pitcher. When you can have a starting pitcher early in the season, not come be coming out of games in the third or fourth inning, when they can go six, seven innings right out of the gate, you're a going to save the bullets of the reliever. So their workload early can be at least kind of held and managed, but also that's going to pay dividends in September when these guys aren't going on 75, 80 appearances to end the season and then have to churn for potentially another month in the postseason. So I think the the ability for these guys to come out and be hungry and go six, seven innings, even with the extended bullpen, you're letting guys get into really good rhythms and you're saving the bullpen because those innings later on down the road, it's a lot better when you're pitching in September, not running on fumes. How important do you think it's going to be going forward in the minor leagues to start getting your relievers to say, all right, tonight, let's just say it's, it's a ball down here, right? It's San Jose against Stockton. Tonight, you're going two innings. You've got to get used to you're not a one-inning guy anymore because I think that's kind of where we're going. We need to start training relievers so we can get all these innings. I mean, it's a lot of outs, 27 outs every night, and there's a lot of innings that you, you got to go. How important – take back to when, when you were when you were pitching, just how important is it going to be to start training people that the one inning is not the deal anymore. You're coming in. Be prepared to go at least two. So I, I think that it's a very good question. And, and I think the I, I when I was traded from San Francisco to um, the Pirates in 2017, I was a, it was an August revocable waiver trade. I think one of the stats that I left with as I was being interviewed was I had the most multi-inning appearances in a in the in the I think Giants history or in the last twenty years. Be proud and of I, that, my friend. Be and proud. Was, and it was be, it was because I I think I was a former starter and I've always had that ability to 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 go deeper into the games when I was a starter. But so it's a little bit of a double edged sword. It, it's obviously great for the team when a reliever can go multiple innings. The only thing that that run you run into the little bit of the wear and tear problem is. Most managers run run the hot hand. You always kind of whoever's been <laughs> pitching well, they're going to keep going and pitching pitching out there until you know they they say they need a break, which most guys don't do that, or until their stuff starts to not be as crisp because of fatigue. And I think that relievers are pr- are a proud bunch. We want to take the ball every single day. We want to not let the team down. 
And I think there's a, a huge, huge pro, like positive in, in the staff being able to manage the outings because no pitcher is ever going to be like, no, I can't go today because you don't want to let the team down. But I think that the ability to go multiple innings, you know, for me, for example, I, I would go, I went one game. It was, it was in Houston. I went two and two thirds through like 40 something pitches. Boach was like the next day, how you feeling? I'm like, I'm good. I can give you one. I pitched the next day. How you doing the next day? I'm like, I'm good. I can give you an out. And I pitched the next day. But if he would have kept asking me, I just said, I'm good to go. But they, they were starting to take care of us and, and not wanting anybody to get hurt. Um, but overall, I think the ability to go multiple innings deeper into your bullpen gives you so many more options. Now, I've been thinking this, and, and you'll know better than me, but if you don't blow a guy out, he's now becoming we, – we always talked about the bridge guy to the closer, right? The setup guy to the closer. But really, we've got some really important innings, and sometimes now it's even in the fifth taking these guys out early, fifth, sixth, seventh. If you are somebody that can give me such crucial innings in these important six, seven type innings, it's kind of becoming a money roll to me. If you, It really increases your value. Bob Melvin would always say one of the reasons why he had a great relationship with his players is that Bob Melvin put his players in positions to succeed, which then would help them make more money. And he would tell them, I'm going to help you make more money. And if someone's going to help you make more money, you're going to like that guy and you're going to listen to that guy, right? So I got a feeling that as we start to see the usage of bullpens go up, there's going to – the value of a guy that comes in earlier in the game, don't you think money-wise, value-wise, he's going to be worth more? So, yeah, the answer is yes. And I, and I think that what you just described describes like a Dan Otero for the yeah. for Oakland for a while. And then I think that described me pretty pretty closely for the Giants for the majority of my years there. I would come in after Kaner or Bum or whatever, come in in the fifth or the sixth, and then take it through the sixth or through the seventh and get the ball to Jeremy Affelt and Javi and Casilla and Romo. Uh, so I, I know that role very, very well. And I think that it it is a very important role until you get too expensive. And then it's not justifiable <laughs> to pay somebody if that you're in that same role still. So I, I agree. I think championship teams and teams that go deep into the postseason and have great seasons like the Dodgers and our teams uh, and Oakland early when they were very, very good in, in, in 12 and um, in those years, I think that you need that guy. You need that bridge guy that you trust. And, and Boach, just to go back to him, because I'm very familiar with him, when the situation would come up, the phone would ring. He wouldn't even, Gardy wouldn't even have to say the names. I was already up and basically throwing my first warm-up pitch in the sixth inning with two guys on and two outs because I knew it was going to be me that was that was called. And the reason why, you know, I think I had success in that role, Dan Otero had success in that role, is because you had the confidence of knowing that when the phone rang, that was your role. That was your situation. So you were mentally prepared to go. And you bridged the gap to those later inning guys. And I think good teams, teams that have a lot of success and win, have that guy. Or multiple. Yeah, I mean, guys like you are valuable. It's real, and I think you're becoming more. In the next couple of years, I think your value is even, I don't know, maybe uh, we can put you in a time machine and bring you back. You're going to be even <laughs> more valuable. Let's end on this. You know, I was at the gym the other day, and the Giants game was over, and they, the channel was still on NBC Sports Bay Area where you're a part of Giants pre- and post-game live. They were doing a replay 
of remembering the 2012 team. And saw you on there. And just, it's been a few years, right? It's 10 years. Just when you, yeah. th- when you think back, I don't know if you guys are doing a celebration this year or not, but uh, when you think back 10 years, what, what do you remember? Oh man, you know, it, so yeah, this is the 10 year end of 10 year reunion anniversary. Uh, I think there's going to be a celebration in August, I believe, but a good story is after we won the world series there, we, we, we beat Detroit and we came back and I was always a guy that would get to the field early because I, I was not married. Um, I don't, don't have kids and, and I had nothing really to do. So I would get to everything early, get to the ballpark early to just, you know, work out a little bit or do some core, even for the world series parade. I got there early cause I had nowhere else to be. So I get there and I'm in the training room and Boach comes in and he and I are chatting just about how the series went and everything and this and that. And he goes to me, he goes, George, at some point you're going to reflect and, and it might not be this off season before you get ready for spring training. It may not be next year. It may not be two years from now, but at some point you're going to look back and think of how special it was, what we've accomplished here. And that 2012 team, we faced a ton of adversity. You know, we, we fell down 0-2 against Cincinnati in the DS. We fell behind 3-1 to to St. Louis in the championship series. And overcoming those back against the wall, winning six straight elimination games, we come out after Detroit had spent seven days in Lakeland playing inter-squad games, and we just kind of waxed the floor with them a little bit, which nobody saw coming. Um, but he goes, you're going you're gonna to think at some point in time what how special this was and what this meant to you. And it was – after I decided to hang them up, so right before the 2020, the world stopped, and baseball for me, I had hung them up, and I just was reflecting on everything. And you think how special it is to a just be a part of one World Series, to be a part of two. It's just icing on the cake, obviously, um, but just how special and what went into winning those championships and and those games and the camaraderie and the friendships and the teammate bonds that you'll never ever forget. And we've done something so special together and um it's going to be great to see all those guys i'm sure when we have the reunion it uh it will be like we're right back in 2012 doing it when we were doing it but it's 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 really kind of special to reflect and think about you know being able to win that was my rookie year with the giants so that that was winning a world series my first year after being traded from the yankees going all the way I remember looking at Javi as we were, we, we were about to hop the fence in Detroit and being like, holy crap, is this actually going to happen right now? So it's all super special memories that that'll never be forgotten. And um, it'll be great to see all those guys when we get that reunion back together. I mean, you were winning so much early. It had to be like, man, we, we just win the World Series every year. That's what we do. It was, I, you know, I literally, I, I asked somebody, we were popping champagne. I was like, what's next? And they're just like, we're going to do this every year. And I was yeah. like, okay. <laughs> Well, you know, the thing that uh, we had done before, you know, years, past couple of years before COVID was, you know, honoring the A's team that won three straight World Series in 72, 73, 74. And, and you think about how old these guys were and to honor them was just amazing. And that's kind of one of the things that we've lost during COVID is we haven't been honoring anybody. We haven't been seeing anybody. So that's why I wanted to make sure you guys were doing that because it is so special for you guys to get together for these milestones, you know, why you guys can still really enjoy it. It's just sad that all these other franchises past couple of years haven't been allowed to do it. 
I, I agree. And, and I think that this year is going to be a, a special one because if I'm not wrong, I think the 2010 team is also being um, oh, honored wow. and, and celebrated this year because 2020, obviously no fans. Last year was a little bit different as well. Uh, so I think this year they're going to get a 10 reunion and a 12 reunion. And, and you know, luckily for us and, and the timing, we were all giants. They get one in 2024 as well. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun to get everybody back and, and, and amongst each other. And I think ultimately for us, player, former players and guys who are a part of that team, it's going to be wonderful. But for the fans to, to see everybody again, um, you know, I know you guys think the A's fans are the best in the world. Us Giants <laughs> fans think the Giants fans are the best in the world. So they get to uh, they get to experience a, a bunch of uh, guys coming back and some fun memories this year. Is there any franchise that says, yeah, I don't think our fans are that great? Ah, I don't know. I, I don't know if I want to actually. I, I've been to Tampa Bay. Not that they're not great fans, but there's yeah. never anybody at that game in, in St. Pete. Hey, well, let me tell you something. You're really good on TV. You're good to oh, watch. You. Yeah, you, you've made a very you made you've done a very good job making that transition because, you know, obviously they want they want a new generation of Giants broadcasters and they want the guys that won rings. I mean, Larry Bear is not stupid. I, I want to put I want to put the good looking faces with the rings on the broadcast. And uh, you've done a very good job with the transition. You've, you've been you've been uh, really nice to watch. So continued success. And we'll talk to you down the road. And thank you for popping on on video. You're actually the first guest of this. So we oh, appreciate well, it. I'm, I'm glad to uh, to break the seal and to get it started. And thank you very much. I appreciate it. I, I love to. First and foremost, I love to still be around the game and to talk about it and to give opinions. And um, obviously, leaving San Francisco as a player was probably the hardest thing I had to do throughout my career. So being able to come back and and uh, be affiliated and, and chat about black and black and orange and and the Giants is something that I that I love very much. So the, the fact that I'm around still is it was a great transition. But I appreciate it. Thank you. And 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 hope that the show continues to go well. All right. Be well. Take care. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Yeah, George Contos was a really good player. And that role that we're talking about, by the way, you're going to take heat, Cody, by the way. And we will have coming up here in actually, God, within like two minutes. Yeah, David Force in two minutes. Uh, the fact that you booked a giant as the first guest, I want everybody to know that's on Cody. I do not book the guest. Uh, David Force said he told what he told he told us he would do video, and then he said, "What's well, the phone today?" I'm just saying the first guest you booked was a guy who's the Giants. I know we're playing the Giants. I'm just saying. Uh, well, got to break the seal somehow. That's going to be the heat on this guy, and I can point to you now as somebody. Uh, now that we're doing this on video and on Twitter and on, you can find us on the Athletics. I haven't even checked it. How's it look on YouTube? I haven't been able to look either. Because I'm just I'm watching on on the site itself, and then on Streamyard, people can actually text into us as we're doing the show. Yeah, uh, there's some comments. Uh, we had a fan ask, um, "Who is your favorite player of all time for the A's?" I'm directing that at you, I'm assuming. My favorite player. Are we going like like as a kid favorite player, or it, it just said all time, so it could be anyone. Or someone like I actually cover. I mean, obviously, Ricky Henderson was one of the greatest watches in the history of the game. Uh, my favorite guy would, would, would be Josh Donaldson. Josh Donaldson was my guy. Got to know him real well. Uh, J.D. was 
JD was the kind of he was the dude. He was the guy in the clubhouse. He was the swagger. He was the he was the guy when Josh Reddick was still doing some things that not everybody loved and people didn't say and Johnny Gomes was gone. You got to remember it was it was um it was Johnny Gomes who kind of policed Reddick. And Gomes left. And then there was no one to police Gomes. I mean Reddick Josh Reddick needed to be policed, and it was it was Josh Donaldson. Well, you know what? Forget me. Let's ask the guy who's been around here, and let's see what his answer is going to be. As it's time for the David Four Show, as normally we'll be doing this a lot of times on Monday, but a day off yesterday. We were all off yesterday, so it's on Tuesday. Uh, Dave, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm a little worried about what I walked into here. What uh, What do you need to ask the guy who's been around for a while? Your favorite A's player. <laughs> who's my favorite A's player? Who? Wow. Yeah, I, I, I got asked that, and I went, well, I mean, since the, the, of all the time that I've been around, my favorite guy I would say is Josh Donaldson. Oh, that's interesting. Um, Josh is not my favorite A's player. Um, but I think, I don't know, am I allowed to say the current manager is my favorite eight player? He's right up there. Well, yeah, he's like a double dipper for you as a player. Well, three times. I mean, what he did for you as a player, what he did for you as a coach, and what he does for you now as a manager. Yeah, I, I would look, I've got a, there's a, a handful of guys who, you know, stand out for me over the years. Kotz is certainly on that list. Um, but if you, you know, if you put together a, a top, Top five, you know, Scott Hatterberg's in there. Mark Ellis is in there. Barry Zito's in there. It's uh, yeah. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of good memories with with a bunch of guys. How how you know going into a series like this, the fans get all fired up about it. I mean, we like interleague play, but it's always a little different when you're doing the cross down rival. I mean, ever since Farhan took over, it kind of probably changed it a little bit for you because you guys are such good friends and uh, and, and and you know. You guys were together for years, and he came from the A's system. Just, but what is Giants A's like for you? Yeah, it's it's changed over the years. Certainly, as you know, as one team has had sort of the upper hand in the area, and then that's, that's gone back and forth. But with Farhan there now, it's definitely it's definitely different than it ever was. I think we have we have a, a real respect for the way that they do things. Um, you know, frankly, we we try to do things similarly in some ways. I know, uh, you know, John Shea wrote an article back at the beginning of the season about how, you know, how similar we, we really are, despite the obvious differences across the, across the bay. So it's, you know, it's one of those things where you, you kind of just want to get it over with, I guess. Um, you know, look, frankly, they're, they've been really good the past few years. So we know going in there, it's, it's always tough, but you've got a lot of good memories from this series for sure. Um, you know, things like, you know, just a couple of years ago, Cameron Piscotty hitting the homers in the ninth inning to, to come back. You've got going back further than that, uh, Eric Burns hitting for the cycle and Almedo Sines hitting a walk off at our place. So there's there's some really good memories from this series. You know, when you think about this team and, and where you are at nine and eight, I think a lot of us, if you would have said nine and eight at this point, heading into the day off and taking on the Giants, a lot of us went, oh, yeah, I'd sign up for that and I'd take that. You know, what's the one thing this team has done that when you built this team, you knew they would be good at this 
and they've done it so far? Well, I think we've been really versatile, both as a position player group and in the bullpen. And I think you've seen that with guys moving around, playing at different positions, whether it's Noisy at second and third or Billy McKinney in the infield and outfield, um, Tony Kemp at second and left. Uh, we, so we've got a really versatile group and a group that's willing to kind of go wherever Cots asks them to. And I think that's been really valuable. And, and similarly on the pitching staff, uh, you've seen guys pitch everywhere. You've seen Danny Jimenez pitch in the sixth and the ninth, Zach Jackson in the fifth or the eighth. And, uh, you know, Acevedo come back from, you know, pitch in the eighth and ninth. So I think, I think from a bullpen standpoint, guys have been very flexible. Mark and, and Emo have done a great job deploying them in good spots. And it's just, it's been interesting to watch it unfold over the first 17 games as we try and sort of figure out our identity and, and who fits where. What has surprised you so far is better than you thought it would be? Um, I don't know. I think, I think we knew the starting pitching, as long as we you know, stayed healthy, was going to be consistent. Obviously, we've gotten, you know, we've gotten great pitching out of Frankie, which, which we always expect. And then everybody behind him, for the most part, you know, Cole and Dalton and Paul have really given us five quality innings every time out. And I think that's been, that's been great to see. And I think about your bullpen kind of rounding into form. You mentioned Danny Jimenez. Uh, you know, the one thing that I've noticed about him, and I guess your data would also tell you also, is how confident he is in his breaking ball to be able to throw it for strikes, throw it as a wipeout strikeout pitch, throw it in any count. That's always something to me for a guy is so dangerous where it doesn't matter if it's a pitcher's count, hitter's count, no matter what, I feel like I, I have control, can throw this pitch at any time. Are you seeing that, and how impressed are you by that? I am, and I'm seeing it not just from Danny, but from a number of guys. And, and to be honest, I mean, you have to do that in the big leagues to have success. I mean, we, we have seen over the last couple of years – just about everybody can throw 95 or more, frankly. Um, but it's the guys who command it, and it's the guys who, like you talked about, have that secondary pitch they can throw for strikes. And if you, you look at our, our bullpen right now, it's, it's Jackson's breaking ball, it's Acevedo's changeup, it's Puck's slider. Like you said, it's Danny's curveball. All these guys have a second pitch. They can throw for strikes when they're behind in the count. They can they can throw out of the zone to get guys to chase, and that's ultimately that's the formula you need to have success in the big leagues. So, I mean, with Danny, it's it, none of this is totally surprising. I mean, this is a guy who, for years, has been you know on the cusp, I think, of pitching in the big leagues. You saw the Giants took him in the Rule Five before we did. Then we you know we came very close to making our team when we Rule Five him. He pitched great in Triple A last year. It's just it's been a progression to the point where he's been ready to, to succeed in the big leagues. Yeah, it's got to be really nice for you and your staff to watch this play out because, as you mentioned, a Rule 5 minor league draft. I mean, I mean, a lot of us, we're not paying attention to any of this. I mean, but, you got, <laughs> but you've got to build a system. You've got to build a ball club. And all those different moves that you make that people are not really paying attention a whole heck of a lot to, just how rewarding is that when, when these moves start to work out for you and your staff? Yeah, it's a, it's a huge credit to our, our pro scouting staff as well as our front office group that, you know, basically the bullpen right now is put together 
uh, on Rule 5 picks and minor league free agents. I mean, they, these guys have done a great job. I say guys, these guys and, and girls have done a great job of, of scouring the free agent list and, and the pro scouts are out there writing reports all year long that eventually, you know, really come into play. And um, all those guys who I just talked about have all gotten here in different ways and are all making an impact. So it's, it's certainly a credit to, to everybody in the, in the system who's putting in the work. So Nick Allen is back in the lineup today. I know people have asked me. I don't have the answer to this. You're the one that's going to make the call. Is he is he somebody that could stay here for for a while, if not the season? Is could you see him going back to Vegas? How do you, I mean? Because obviously he is hopefully the future up the middle. How do you see his role going forward? I think it's been great for Nick to, to get here and, and get his feet wet, get a couple of knocks under his belt. And he, you know, he's made some plays, most notably the, the running touchdown catch down the left field line the other day, uh, which was pretty impressive. I think he covered 115 feet or something. <laughs> it was amazing. From the, uh, <laughs> the shortstop position. It was incredible. But I, look, I, there's a lot of, lot of things in flux, obviously, on our roster, hopefully getting some guys back off the COVID list in the next few days. Uh, we got to go down from 28 to 26 after Sunday. So uh, I think we're going to take a look over the next five games at, at everybody on, in the position player group and figure out also, you know, how many pitchers we take beyond Sunday. We, we thought we were going to have to go down to 13, but uh, MLB announced today they're going to allow us to have 14 through the end of May just to make sure everybody's arms are taken care of. So there's there are a lot of variables, but ultimately I think it's been great for Nick to get here uh see what it's like in the big leagues and, and sort of make an impression on the on the major league staff you've had to deal with this for the past couple of years where the rules change around you you're so used to in your career david stuff was set in stone this is how it is year after year after year these are the rules this is how you build the roster and this is how you go forward do you like it not like it what is just all the adjustments and the changing and now you got this many guys or you can only have this many guys. I mean, how do you feel about that? I'm a big believer, Chris, that you, you don't worry about the things you can't control. And and I don't, I don't have any control over what the rules are going to be or when they're going to change them. And, and it's sort of kind of wasted energy to perseverate about it and, and worry. So Hey, whatever they tell us to do, we'll, we'll figure it out. I, I, you know, I tell our group all the time, let's just, let's move on. Let's figure out the solution rather than worry about the problem. And um, so, yeah, I, there, there are things that are changing around us and, you know, I, I like having the expanded roster. So I was happy about that. I like having extra pitchers if we can take care of our guys' arms after a short spring. So uh, we'll figure it out. We'll, we'll work with, with whatever they give us. You know, when I start thinking about the guys coming back from the COVID list, a good problem to have, and we're seeing it, Stephen Piscotty's back, and then forget just the COVID list, Ramon Laureano coming back. There's going to be some tough decisions, but isn't that a really good thing is that you only have so many at-bats, but you got a lot of players who want those at-bats. Aren't those good problems to have? No doubt, no doubt. I will, I will never complain about having too many good players, and I, I don't think Cots will either. So, 
yeah, you you know, you mentioned Stephen came back and hit the ground running. Obviously, good at bats over the weekend with the, and the big homer on Sunday, and hoping that that Chad and Jed can do the same thing come this weekend. Um, and Ramon's starting to get his legs under him in in Vegas. He'll play all this week and. Uh, actually, he'll be up in Sacramento next week with the Vegas team, getting some at-bats before hopefully joining us in Minnesota. So, um, yeah, I, again, anything can happen. As soon as you as soon as you get comfortable and are, are sure you've got too many guys, uh, you put seven guys on the COVID list the next day. So, you know, anything's yeah. possible around here. So we, we try and stay on our toes. You know, one thing that I think is way better for baseball than what we see in the NFL, and I'm not comparing these two players and what's happened to them, but Alden Smith with the Raiders and then Ramon Laureano with the A's. I remember with Alden, they kick you out of the building. No coaches are able to communicate with you. You can't talk to anybody in the organization. I remember Jack Del Rio was the head coach at the time, and I used to do the TV with him, TV show with him, and he talked about it's the worst thing in the world. It's like this guy needs structure. This kid needs help, and he doesn't get any. And I think of how baseball does it, and I think it's just, yeah, was there a mistake made? Sure. Has the player owned up to it? No doubt. But to make sure that you don't kick him out and he can't come back for a certain time and you can't talk to him or Kotze can't talk to him or whoever, and the fact that he's able to come back and play in minor league games, don't you like this system far better than what we see in other leagues where they just tell a guy to go away and you can't speak to him at all? I, I was not aware that that was the, the situation in the NFL. Um, but, yeah, look, I, I hope all of this allows Ramon – to be ready to go as soon as his his time is is served and and yeah the fact that he was in spring training with us and, yep. and got to be around his teammates and and now has these 15 games to go out and play and, and get ready I, I do think it's it's a good way to do it and, and like you said that you know he's he's serving 80 games he's he's paying the price for a mistake um but it's but it's good to be able to get him in shape and have him ready to go. It's 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 a little bit ironic because he's actually in a better situation than the guys on the COVID list who aren't allowed in the clubhouse, aren't allowed any of the other teammates, have had to sort of find a place to go work out and hit and, and kind of stay isolated, which of course makes sense. But uh, the, the the contrast there is, is funny right now with Chad and Jed searching for batting cages out in the East Bay and, and Ramon's in the lineup for Vegas tonight. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's oh my god, that's that that's absolutely crazy. And when Ramon comes back and Pache, we've already talked about, it, he's going to play. How do you see center field and right field working out? And then of course Chad Pender's going to come back, which I assume will be a lot of left field for him. Yeah, that's again one of those things you you file under good problems to have and. I'm sure I'm sure we'll spend a lot of time with Mark figuring it out. But Ramon obviously played some right field in in spring training, um, but has had a lot of success here in center. So uh, there's a long way to go. It, it's still you know still a bunch of games and a couple of weeks before Ramon comes back. So we'll we'll have those discussions and, and figure it out by the time Ramon is back. You know some stuff in baseball I wanted to ask you about and saw it today. I knew they were down home runs. But I didn't realize really how much and home runs per at bat just for the league basically down 10%. I mean, if you look at it, it's way down compared to what we've seen in the past few years where every year has been record amount amounts of home runs. 
Why, why, why do you think we're seeing far, just not some less, far less home runs? We, we've seen the data, too, over the last week. There's been a number of articles about it. And, and anecdotally, we saw some balls hit over the weekend. I think Elvis, Elvis hit one that looked like it was going to carry and didn't go. And, um, you know, I, I, again, I, I think that's one of those things that we, we don't have control over. We, we play with the ball that, that we're given um, and make the adjustments. But I think the installation of humidors in all 30 parks is having an effect. Certainly, uh, I know that you know Major League Baseball wanted to, uniform, you know, make sure that the the ball conditions of the balls were uniform. But um, but yeah, I've seen the same data, and we're we're keeping track of it, trying to adjust. But um, I don't hear the pitchers complaining, so I think no. we'll, go, we'll go with what we've got. <laughs> well, and, and let's end on this: something that I've noticed during the post game show when the players. And the families come down onto the field, and I think that this homestand slash day off, two days in San Francisco, day off, and then back to another homestand is very vital for your team because you got a team with a with with a lot of a lot of young kids. I'm seeing a lot of toddlers and a lot of babies. Just how important was it to have that tough stretch on the road? All right team bonding it was good for the team but then to come back and have a long extended period at home just for everybody to get settled especially with all these young families for sure it's it's i mean a lot of these guys hadn't been to oakland before they got home you know at midnight from toronto last sunday night so um it's good for them to, to feel settled like you said have their families here get their families into the ballpark and, and figure out what it's all about so you you know you don't think about a lot of that stuff when you leave spring training and these guys, you know, haven't been to Oakland, don't necessarily know where they're going to be living and how they're going to get to and from the park every day. So to have a nice long stretch, including these, these games in San Francisco to be home for basically two plus weeks uh, has been great for everybody. Was Mark hounding out, handing out maps uh, when they got back from the road trip? (laughs) How did that work out? That sounds like it's under Mickey's department, so you'll have, you'll have to ask Mick if he was given directions. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, like, so crazy. They were like, yeah, there's quite a few of these guys. They've never even been to Oakland before. They have no clue where they're going. <laughs> yep, that's right. All right, great stuff. Enjoy the next couple of days in San Francisco. We'll see you back in Oakland. Okay, Chris, I'll see you. The David Force Show right here on A's Cast Live. Here's your buddy, the GM. Good to have David on. And kind of one of those where uh, you just want to get these two days over with and get back to uh, the regular part of the schedule. As GMs do not like stuff that is out of the norm. Two days in San Francisco, a day off again. And then for the first time in the history of the athletics franchise, the Cleveland Guardians are coming to town. Ooh, they can't hit. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had a rough weekend. and I would say rough weekend, but uh, there were some issues at Yankee Stadium over the weekend with the Guardians, uh, with the fans. And, you know, Stephen Kwan actually got hurt. He hasn't played in the last few days. Uh, Barry, we're, we're hoping to – I was hoping to try to get him on the show for us on Friday. But first time ever, Guardians coming to town on Friday. Um, so hopefully we'll see a lot of people there. You see the Guardians. You got Jose Ramirez, but – Focus on the two games in San Francisco first because uh, they're a pretty good ball team coming off the 107 wins last year as well. Coming off a a long road trip, 
you know what the you know what the gamblers say. And did you see that Matt, our buddy Matt Va- Vaskersian, is hosting a baseball gambling show during the day on MLB Network? I didn't. That's news to me. I I I could not. Now, obviously, we're usually what driving up or preparing for the show like we were today. Yeah, it's 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 a gambling show on MLB Network, the network that's paid for by Major League Baseball. I am shocked. They've got odds makers. I the sport that if you gambled a la Pete Rose and I know it's bank gambling on his own team, but I mean you're shunned for the game. You're done. Like they won't even allow you. They you you can't even there had to be when he was on the All Century team. Remember the All Century team celebration way back when? Uh, special exemption for him to do that. I mean, the ban is the ban. And now, I mean, remember when we were in um, Tokyo? What year was that? 2019. Two- no. Yeah. Was it 2019? Yeah, and 2012. 2019. It was sponsored by MGM. I remember, I think I still have one of those baseballs around here. It was like, ah, it's the opening series brought to you by MGM. I'm like, MGM? Yeah, could MLB Network has a midday. Let's break down. They're talking about over and unders. They're talking about whether you bet the first five innings for the pitcher. I mean, all the stuff that, like, taboo. That was ultimately taboo. By the way, uh, can people see your sweatshirt? I think so. Uh, the Wow sweatshirt, uh, it's an homage to the great late Ray Fossey, as we have the sign right here on the wall uh, that says we love you, Ray, both from The Last Dive Bar. So check out our friends at The Last Dive Bar. Um, They've made some Ken Korak stuff. I saw he got some free swag the, from him. The lights have taken effect. Yeah, that's the new line they have. But there's a lot of – I think Ken has like 15 different items on their website. There's a lot of Ray Fossey items. Uh, they do a fantastic job. That's The Last Dive Bar if you guys want to check them out and – See what they have going on. I've been wanting to ask you this question, and I saw this stat over the weekend. When congrats to Miguel Cabrera on his three thousandth hit, we we knew it was coming. It's not like it was something. Like, oh my God, was he going to get three thousand ever? I did hear Tim Kirchner say oh, it might be a long time until we see another guy get to three thousand hits. And Is there ever really a surprise when someone gets to three thousand hits? Uh, not when you're sitting at two thousand nine hundred ninety-nine. I mean, it's kind of a <laughs> it's kind of a long process that doesn't sneak up on anybody. Yeah, no, uh, you kind of can track it down, but. Did you, did, is there anybody went, oh, my God, I can't believe he's there. He's only been doing it for 18 years or whatever. When I saw Miguel Cabrera play for the first time in 2003, I didn't think he was going to be a 3,000 career hit guy. I'm, I'm just saying there's probably people out there that said that. But anyway, Cabrera's the fourth guy in the history of baseball to get his 3,000th hit versus the Colorado Rockies. That can is you, correct. Can you, can you name the other three? Okay, first of all, I've already done this on the air. Where have you been? Do you not listen to the work that we do on the air? Uh, I wasn't. Whatever you did, I didn't hear it. So I'm assuming it was a th- your, th- your third inning hit? It was Ichiro. For what team? Probably the Yankees. Wrong. Okay, wait. You can't throw multiple <laughs> questions at me. Do you want the Rockies yeah. or not? Yeah, let's hear I'll tell you the team. Biggio. Yep. Ichiro. Miggy. And it was somebody else recently. Padres legend Ricky Henderson. Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> so... I do these hits during the game. I had this hit for Ken and Vince, and you're asking me the same question. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, then you need to be listening to, to, to the broadcast. Uh, well, I'm 
Sorry I missed the, that that hit, but that hurts. Uh, we gave you this information a few days ago. Ichiro, Marlins legend Ichiro Suzuki. By the way, that would be Ricky was a Padre. Was a Padre when he did it. Yeah, Padre legend Ricky Anderson. Ricky scored the all time was the all time runs record as a Padre. And it was and it was uh, walks too. I think at the time when he when he got that. I think he's I don't know about that one. So records, records <laughs> set by players, and you've got no clue what team they were with, or milestones. Like I, I bet you could do. Well, you gotta, you gotta get out of that certain era where players played for the same team forever. Well, yeah, like the, the one of the best ones is Randy Johnson winning his three hundredth game four. Uh, that would be right, the Giants, yeah. right? Yeah, like if you actually went through. Like, who did Tom Seaver get his 300th win with? Uh, I'm going to guess the Angels. I believe it was the White Sox. Oh, that's right. He was a White Sox. Uh, yeah, I mean, you don't think of White Sox legend Tom Seaver. Uh, yeah, I'm going to look that up now. Fresno's own Tom Seaver. Uh, let's see. R.I.P. Tom Seaver would have won his, uh, yeah, probably would have been the White Sox. Because why do I, why do I think Anaheim? Sorry, California. He never, then he never played. I know there's, but there was someone else I thought that finished their career with their close end of their career with Anaheim. Not California. Chuck, not Chuck Finley. He didn't. Yeah. Uh, great, Tony Katane. But yeah, I mean, you really it's it's actually it's kind of fascinating when you go back through it and you and you look at like Ichiro or like a Ricky getting it in uniforms completely different than you're used to. And against the Rockies. It was a triple for each other as well, playing for the Rockies at Coors Field, I remember. That was the whole bummer for, for fans who are Tiger fans. I understood what Aaron Boone was doing. He's trying to win the game. But you're sitting there, and you, you took your kid out of school. It was a day game. You're there. It's Miggy. He's been there in Detroit now. How long? He's been there forever. And... You want to see 3,000 hits against the Yankees, right? And not only does he not get the chance to do it against the Yankees, the next day it's rained out against the Rockies, and you don't get it till the day after that with the Rockies. So I wonder how many hundreds, I don't know, could be thousands, of people that couldn't that got there for that game to see Miggy hit number 3,000 that couldn't go two days later. Yeah, it's a that really is a, a bummer for them, and they ended up playing, what, a doubleheader on Saturday, and that's yeah. when he got it. And It was cool to see Jose Iglesias, one of his old teammates, be the first guy to embrace him, and then all the Tigers players came out. And Then I had to listen to A.J. Hinch talk about how great of a player Miguel Cabrera was, you know, post-game. And, uh, Mickey didn't want to make it about him, though, after listening to it. He, wanted, he, he did not want to make it about yeah, him. Yeah, I saw the uh, toast and the champagne. Yeah, he, he's not a big me guy. And he, which, was, he was talking about – Thanks for being a part of the journey. It was really, it was really, it was nice to watch because he talked about thanking. Well, he thanked everybody for being on the journey, and he th- and he thanked you know old teammates and everything like that, and then said, "Hey, I think we can win the division. I think we got a chance. I like the group." Da 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 da. So yeah, it was very little about him and more about all these guys. When the majority of these guys on this team, they've had nothing to do with it. They haven't really been around. Yeah, true. Detroit's been in a complete rebuild. But, yeah, he he was all team. And, you know, 
you're talking about over 20,000 people played Major League Baseball. And really, there should be four guys that have hit 300, three, uh, 500 home runs, 3,000 hits. Obviously, the one guy that's not going to be on that list, it's because of his military service, is Ted Williams. Ted Williams would have got 3,000 hits, easy. Would have got 500 home runs, easy, and obviously hit over 300. So kind of bugs me when people go, oh, there's only three guys. Well, let's be honest. And no one was an, the offensive force that was Ted Williams was was great. He was greatness. I heard uh, Cabrera actually has the highest all-time batting average, career average for guys in that club now. Which is, but but that bugs me I, I that know, you yeah. say that because I just said it. I mean, you want to compare him to Ted Williams? No, I'm just saying. Like I heard that stat the other day that he has. Ted Williams went and fought in two different wars for God's <laughs> sakes. He has. The, we leave these guys out who sacrificed their careers for our country, right? And now we don't want to include him in the clubs. Well, he's not a part of that, and I, I get it. He's not, but you do have to understand. Let me just bring it up real quick to to give you an idea of what Ted Williams lost and where he was with his numbers. Still, I think he has the greatest – was he have the greatest slugging per, or on-base percentage of all time? Ted Williams did not play in 43-44-45. That's ages. He had just – before he entered the one war, Ted Williams had just hit 36 home runs, 137 RBIs, scored 141 runs – and had a 1,147 OPS. Oh, don't sleep on his 145 walks either. <laughs> okay. Then misses three years. So that's three more years. That's three years of that that he missed. Then he comes back after three years of not being in baseball and wins the MVP. So the only thing Ted Williams doesn't have, I mean, he's got 521 career home runs. I mean, he easily would have been over 600. Uh, he would have easily been over 2,000 RBIs. It's just he doesn't have the hits at 2,654. But you don't want to go career numbers against Ted Williams. No, never do. There's only probably two guys that do. When it comes to, you're talking about batting average home runs and everything? or just... When you want to add them all up and you want to go career numbers, there's really only two guys. Aside from Ted Williams or Ted Williams and one other guy? Two other guys other than Ted Williams. Henry Aaron? No. Stan Usual? Nope. Uh, who is it? George Herman Ruth? It's it's Babe Ruth and Barry Bonds. When you start getting into, if you start getting in the nuts and bolts because you love your data and your analytics, you want to start looking at the all-time guys. Because remember what Ted Williams' war would be like with those years that he missed. He missed the years of greatness, and he's still at 122 war. It's pretty good. 122, high. and he missed years where we're talking 40 bombs, hitting high 300s. I mean, the numbers for war, his war would be up. So when you start talking about weighted runs created plus all time, your leader's Babe Ruth, right there is, is Barry Bond. Ted Williams, Barry Bonds, and, and, George, and George Herman Ruth, as you like to call him. I call him Babe. Those guys outlast <laughs> everybody when you get to the core of yeah. the greatest numbers of all time. Yeah, I mean, their numbers are... But I'll give it to... But to think that all these players that have played all these years, all these at-bats, and you just got a couple guys that got 
the ability to hit the ball of the ballpark and hit the ball over 300. It's pretty incredible. That yeah. means you beat people in so many different ways. I mean, we saw it. I mean, the big hit against Sonny Gray, uh, Miguel Cabrera in the playoffs. I mean, Miguel Cabrera, you know, whether it was 12 or 13 against the A's in the playoffs. I mean, when you're keeping score up in the box, I mean, he always seems to be coming up at the wrong time. I mean, he was somebody, he's a big man, and when he got onto that on-deck circle, and when he continued, I mean, even at his age and what he's now, he's still at number 300 now, Miguel Cabrera is truly one of the greats that's ever lived. He is, and he'll go down as one of, I mean, one of the best hitters I've seen play in my, for my generation. Uh, one of the best hitters. I mean, him and Pulhos are one, two, probably. But, um, but I mean, I've enjoyed watching. I'm glad he got to it. And then it's a long time to we're gonna see another guy get to it. Um, like Robinson Cano's close, but eh, he's 39. Like, I mean, if I had put money on somebody, it'd be Jose Altuve, but he's 32 he, already. And he's like 1700. Cano's not that close. He's the closest. He's like 24, 2600. He's like 2600. He's not even playing. Yeah, so that's why I mean, like, he's the next closest active. I mean, Elvis has like 1800 career. Probably, hits. just off the top of my head, the realistic guys would be Altuve, Trout, that kind of crowd yeah. would be your next really ma, ma, realistic. Like guys. the youngest guy that's uh, like in the active leaders right now is ma, oh Machado. Machado, but he only has like 1200 hits. He's 29. So. Yeah, but his contract is for another yeah. bazillion years, <laughs> yeah. so it's not like he's going but anywhere. Before we go, I do want to throw this out what? there. What? We're already done? Yeah, we'll throw this out there. Congratulations to our good friend Paul Hembikides. Twins, the, uh, yeah. On the announcement of twins. Congratulations for him and his not wife. Not the Minnesota twins. He's having twins. Yeah, so you guys can be best friends about that now. I already texted him. Get ready. First two years of twins. Woof. You go from zero to two, and it's like, that was a funny thing. My wife and I, after the kids were, you know, now a little bit older, and they were toddlers, and our friends started having kids. And to hear them whine about having one kid, and we'd look at them and go, one kid? You had one kid? That's it? You know how easy that is to have <laughs> one? And they'd look at us and go, shut up. Yeah. All right, well, that's, that's all I got. The first official show. We don't even know how it looked on YouTube. Yeah, I don't either. I'll have to go back and check. But it's going to stay on YouTube, so if someone missed it, they can go and... Yeah, it'll be on Twitter as well. Then obviously you can download the podcast if you want to just listen on, on uh, athletics.com slash acecast or wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Google. Would not like anything better than to go and kick the crap out of the Giants for two games. We'll that see. would be fun. Oh, this, oh, they're the best team in baseball. Or are they not the best team in baseball? And, oh, my God, it's their best road trip since 94. Just go out there and hammer them for two days. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'd like to see it. Yeah. I would enjoy it. Tough tough one tonight with Rodon on the mound. But let's see well, if Bill Jeffers can keep it going. Well, I, I, I don't fear any starting pitcher anymore. There's not a starting quick. What, are you going to see him? Maybe five? Yeah, whoa, Walker Bueller went nine. Once. <laughs> It'll be the only one he has all year. Once. <laughs> I mean, seriously, do we fear starting pitchers anymore? What's the odds the guy's even going to go 7-8? This, this will be, mark my words, this will be about bullpens for two days. We'll see. When are we back? When am I back for uh, A's Total Access? Ten minutes. Ten minutes. I'll be back in ten minutes. Thanks for watching. Thanks for – God, I just butchered that. Thank you for <laughs> watching the very first ever – A's Cast Live on Twitter and on YouTube. We will be back tomorrow. And, of course, everybody listening on the stream, athletics.com slash A's Cast. We'll be back in 10. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. 